In order to support our show, we need the help of some great advertisers. And we want to make sure those advertisers are ones you'll actually want to hear about. But we need to learn a little more about you to make that possible. So go to podsurvey.com slash artofman and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better. That way, we can bring on advertisers you won't want to skip. Once you've completed the quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash artofman, A-R-T-O-F-M-A-N, podsurvey.com slash artofman. Thanks for your help. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. So Father's Day is this week, so I thought I'd do a special Father's Day edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. And to do that, uh, my guest today uh, just published a book uh, with advice on being a dad. And he happens to be a retired Navy SEAL. His name is Eric Davis. His book is called Raising Men, Lessons Navy SEALs Learn from Their Training and Taught to Their Sons. And today on the podcast, we discuss advice on being a dad, particularly for boys that uh, Eric learned from his time as a SEAL. We're going to discuss how to teach your kids personal responsibility, how to make your kids intentionally uncomfortable in order for them to grow. We discuss leading from the front, providing a vision uh, for your kids and respecting your kids' respect. Uh, A lot of great advice if you're a dad out there or a dad-to-be, or even if you're not a dad, the advice that we talk about on the podcast today is just all about how to be a better man in general. Uh, so without further ado, Eric Davis and Raising Men. All right, Eric Davis, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So you're a retired Navy SEAL, now uh, author of a How to Parent book. Uh, but before we get to that, let's talk about your career as a SEAL and uh, what you did as a SEAL and what you do now that you're no longer uh, you know, doing SEAL stuff and uh, how your career as a SEAL influenced your current line of work. Yeah, so I spent 16 years in the Navy. Uh, 10 of those years were spent as a SEAL. I first went to SEAL Team 3. Uh, that was my first assignment. That was a Middle East platoon. Uh, spent a few years there did some deployments, did a lot of uh, shipboarding, what I would call legal pirating, Uh, probably took over 20 ships or maybe even 25 in my my career span there. Uh, Went on from that, became a sniper instructor, Uh, spent actually five years, I spent half my time as a SEAL, as a sniper instructor. Uh, What happened there is a unique time in my life where I just decided I wanted to dive into something and see how good that's something I could get, and that and what I what I was doing was coaching and training. And the course had a really tough attrition rate. A lot of guys were failing out of the course, uh, so I kind of got myself in a spot where I was uh, real effective of uh, helping turn that around. So they kept me there uh, for quite a while, and that's where my training and, and kind of human performance background really got developed. Uh, then I did some intelligence work before I got out. And then about 2008, I left and went into the executive world where uh, bulk of that time, uh, like 98% of that time, I spent uh, training either sales teams or, or process through you know, performance through process type things uh, in organizations. And a couple of years ago, I broke out and started writing uh, online blogs, uh, started a, a leadership and training company 
and then the book came about. That's kind of the short history of, of Eric's transition there. I like that. Well, let's go back to the shipboarding thing, because you write about this in your book, uh, Raising Men, Lessons Navy SEALs Learned from Their Training and Taught Their Sons. Uh, this was interesting, because I didn't know this happened. Um, it's, as you call it, it's legal pirating. Uh, can you describe what like a, a shipboarding mission would look like? Cause I think it's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. I really loved it. It was, uh, so there's, there's basically two ways we get on a ship. Uh, one and my favorite way is, you know, these oil tankers or whatever, or whatever the vessel is, they'd be, they'd be cruising at night. Usually their lights are off because they're smuggling. And uh, the Navy has like these kind of really, these really fast boats called ribs, rigid hull, inflatable boat. And we zip up behind them and, and they can't hear or see us because we're all blacked out. Literally use a grappling hook uh, to throw a caving ladder up on it. And then I was the lead climber. So I'd go up first. So we'd sneak on this ship um, and basically take it down and, and, and render it, you know, dead in the water. And then we'd have the big Navy come over and we just hand it over to them. Uh, the other way we would take it is a helicopter would swoop in, we'd throw a rope out, and we'd slide down. Uh, so that's a little bit, they can see us coming for, you know, quickly. I mean, right when it happens, but we'll subdue them so quickly. And my favorite part is uh, I was I would do sniper operations, so sometimes I'd be in a helicopter covering the team. So I'd get to see the FLIR footage, which is like infrared plus night vision plus thermal, like whatever the technology they're using on the helicopter uh, so you're watching this boarding happen and basically you see like these dark figures attach themselves to the boat. These are my SEAL platoon, you know, my buddies in, my, in the platoon and you see them just overcome the ship. And I would describe it looks like a cancer taking over the ship. <laughs> and, you know, the, so this vessel's cruising through the water. You see these black objects get on it and then go inside of it. Then they disappear. Then all of a sudden the ship stops moving. And <laughs> I love to watch it. It's just like, and then we, we just take them. That's awesome. It's like Tom Clancy stuff right there. It, yeah, it's fun. It was fun stuff. I, at the time I was like, ah, I want to be doing even more. But then as I look back, I'm like, man, that was a really cool time. And I, I just love the idea that we got the pirate ships. It was what a fun thing to do. All right. So uh, you've taken uh, the, the skills you developed on leadership development, uh, human performance that you picked up and acquired while you were a SEAL. And now you're an executive coach and do consulting for uh, civilian businesses. Uh, but then you wrote this book. Uh, it's called Raising Men, Lessons Navy SEALs Learn from Their Training and Taught Their Sons. Uh, why did you think there was a need to write a fathering book uh, specifically on fathering sons? Yeah, I was just so I was just reading uh, Tony and uh, I think it's pronounced Dungy's book, uh, Dungy, Dungy. Uh, he's f from the NFL. Uh, it's called Uncommon. I'm, I apologize to him if I messed the, his last name up, but uh, there's a quote in there that really answers this question. He, he was telling some of the older players this. He said, "Continue being who you are because our young people need to hear from you. If anything, be bolder in who you are because our boys are getting a lot of wrong messages today about what it means to be a man in this world." about how they should talk, act, and dress. That's, I, that, I just read that, that part from the book a couple of days ago, and I think it really sums this up. Masculinity, I believe, has gotten hijacked, right? The, the world's changed. You guys can't just go to work, come home, play catch with the kids anymore. It's a lot more complex, and this got a lot of guys really busy. Um, it, it pulled us out of the role for a little while, and it left a huge gap. And from what I can see, popular culture has filled that gap in and started to redefine masculinity. So I think women are on the rise. And again, I mean, they need support and help too. 
but we don't want to do it or what we don't want to let happen is where men really did hold the role and it really helped society we don't want to lose that so that's why i wanted to start two reasons one the publisher wanted to start there so i was like okay first book i'll do it and then as i thought about it i'm like you know this is a really good place to start because we're i don't want to say under attack but we're definitely losing a functional definition of masculinity. And how do you think pop culture has changed the definition of masculinity? Well, it's, I mean, you know, if you look at the definition of masculinity, it literally, it, it, it literally means that somebody is holding the traits that uh, the culture would think are manly. So in a way, masculinity is the product of pop culture from the get go. Um, but what I'm seeing it do is it's, it's kind of grandiose, right? It's, it's a lot of marketing, uh, I would think of masculinity or being a man as understanding all of the responsibilities, all of the complexities that go into life, uh, assessing them, prioritizing them, and taking action on them so that we can lead our sons and daughters and other people to do the same. Um, right now, popular culture or you know, people think of masculinity as getting in fights, being aggressive, uh, you know, those kind of things, losing our temper. Like these are things that aren't manly. They're actually things that happen when we fail at manhood. Uh, so I think there's too much violence. I think there's too much physicality to masculinity. Um, and I understand why, because back in the day we had to hunt and fight. That's how we survived. And that was a man's role. But today's a little bit more of a Renaissance time. We need to study. We need to invent. We need to, we need to make money. Like it's a different world now. And I think that's interesting. This is coming from a guy like you taught, trained people how to be snipers, like how to, to do those sort of like traditional traits of masculinity, right? Kill bad guys, jump on pirate ships. Yeah. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, there's evil out there and, you know, sometimes violence is the last and final option, but, you know, violence is really just the product of like ignorance. So it's when we ran out of better ideas is when we have to respond or offend in violence. Um, and it is different. And that's, I like that seal platform, that voice. I like that for this reason so that I can show up at a school or talk to kids or write a book and tell them that violence is definitely not the answer. It's actually the, the end state of failure. Um, and SEALs, what they do, most of it's not violent. I mean, we're experts in surveillance, technical and physical surveillance. We study all the time. I mean, there's all kinds of things we do to avoid uh, the conflict and, and we're trained to do that. Just that's not as exciting. So we don't have so many books or movies about that. Right. Um, so you have this phrase in your book called uh, chasing the bull. Um, and you say that many dads are chasing the bull when it comes to raising the kids. So what do you mean by chasing the bull and how are dads chasing the bull when it comes to raising their sons? Yeah. So chasing the bull in sniper terms, it means chasing the bullseye. And what guys would do is, you know, they, they have scopes on their gun. There's, there's some complexity to a weapon system, you know, for long distance shooting. And they would shoot and then their bullets, you know, they wouldn't hit the bullseye. So then they would take their scope off, put their scope back on. They would readjust the knobs on their scope. And then they'd shoot and hit the bullseye for a little bit. But then some of the variations that naturally occur inside of the weapon system would show back up. And then they'd come off the bullseye for a shot or two. And then they'd do it all over again. They'd break down the scope. You know, they'd readjust their knobs and then they'd hit the target once or twice and then it would come off the bullseye again. They never settle into a fundamental principle of shooting. So with fathers, it's the same thing and, and we'll see it, right? Like, okay, I need to spend more time with my kids. Like, oh, no, no, I need to make sure that I'm, I'm working out and I'm healthy. Like, oh, nope, I need to start focusing on making money. You know, they'll jump around from one concern to the other and they're basically chasing the bullseye. 
uh, you know, spending time with kids is not the point, right? We want to, we need to focus on desired in state. We want to produce happy, healthy, successful kids. Now that might mean that we need to spend a certain amount of time with them, but spending the time isn't the end state. And when fathers or parents or anybody's not focused on the end state, they end up chasing all these different tips and techniques. Um, but what they need to do is focus on the fundamentals and have those things cared for in a harmonious way so that they can lead their sons, daughters, and others to do the same. So, I mean, what are the fundamentals that dad should be focusing on if they shouldn't be so concerned with all, you know, chasing the bullseye? So inside... So inside of the book, I basically pulled out the fundamentals of, that we use in SEAL training, like the principles uh, that we talk about a lot. Those are the different chapters. Uh, but perhaps even deeper than that, I, I take a very holistic approach to life. Like I literally keep a, uh, literally keep a mind map of all of the human concerns in life that I've been taught. So money, body, spirituality, helping others, family, things like that. Um, those are the things, those are the core elements to life, in my opinion, and, and I, there's some science to back that up, that it's all about noticing and observing those things so that we can care for them and keeping those things in harmony. So you know, spending time with kids and things like that, yes, that's important, but what's more important is that we're caring for those things so that we can lead by example. Gotcha. Um, so, you know, the book uh, Raising Men is geared towards fathering sons. Um, but on your blog, you, you wrote um, that we can no longer raise our daughters for different purposes than our sons. I'm curious, you, both, you have both boys and girls. Are there differences in the way you raise your daughters and your sons or do you raise them in the same way? And especially now, you know, my, so I have four kids. My oldest, they're all three girls, one boy. Uh, my oldest is my first daughter. She's 23. Um, I've, I've, of course, my parenting style has changed over the last 20 years. Um, but what I've really, what I've come to is, yes, I raise the girls the, for the exact, I think the best way to say it is I raise them for the exact same purposes as I do my son, meaning that they have to compete on the same field now. They have to go out and make money just like men do. They have to compete in careers. It, it, they're, it's the same game, right? We don't have boys and girls teams in real life. That, that only happens in sports. And that's, that's not even probably going to last uh, too much longer. But um, girls are no different to train than boys. What, fundamentally speaking, you have to meet anybody, any, whether it's a dog or a kid or a person or a teammate, you have to meet them where they are and move them to their next truth, their next capability, their next capacity. So where people think girls and boys are different, they are no different. Now, so a girl meeting her where she's at and moving her to her next truth, there could be different tactics and different strategies, but fundamentally we're doing the same thing and they absolutely have to compete. That's why my girls are in jujitsu and I have them fighting sparring boys all the time. Like I, I don't want them to be uh, confused that way. Okay. So that sounds very Spartan. Like the Spartans raised their boys and girls pretty much the same way. Girls were doing the wrestling naked as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, a warrior, the, the thing about a warrior culture um, is that it's almost always going to be functional. It's going to be focused on being effective, not being popular. So they'll almost always be contrary in that way. Yeah. So, uh, like, as you said, you take in the book, you take, um, principles from the, your SEAL training, your SEAL career and apply it to fatherhood. And you talk about, uh, asymmetrical warfare, uh, for are, and you, you say that uh, parenting today is much like asymmetrical warfare. For our listeners who aren't familiar with asymmetrical warfare and what that means, can you describe it and um, maybe explain why you think parenting today is akin to, akin to it? 
Yeah, it's 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 another way of saying it's another way of describing the difference between conventional and unconventional warfare. And I think the best example is, you know, the red, cro- you know, back in the day, the, the red coats, uh, coats fighting and, and, you know, standing face to face and say, OK, you ready? Lift your gun up and shoot. And then we're going to lift our, our gun up and shoot. Um, that's very conventional. Um, and unconventional warfare would be the guys in ghillie suits sneaking around, you know, sabotage using intelligence, different things like that. The reason why I relate it to parenting is I want to kind of help people wake up to the idea that uh, it's very popular to live a simplistic life and and there is there is wisdom in that we want thing we want to simplify things but we have to recognize that we live in the most complex dynamic and competitive environment that this planet has ever seen because of technology and its its pervasiveness it's all over we have competitors coming from left and right the world is changing at a very rapid place or a ra- rapid pace excuse me so what I'm what I'm saying there is it's not just hey go to you don't just go to college and go to work in the factory for 30 years come home you know drink a beer and and go to bed uh, we need to be much more engaged in different ways with our kids we need to under we need to be more like uh, polymaths like Renaissance men we have to understand different domains of concern we have to understand technology there's no room for that anymore uh, so we just need to take a, a much more uh, 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 approach uh, using being experts in different domains now it's not so simple right and you could even argue like the influences that you know kids are experiencing today like it's asymmetrical right it's like they're getting blasted from all sorts of different sources on social media through their peers through celebrities via instagram and all this stuff and like your job as a parent is like trying to help your kid and guide your kid amongst these competing voices. And so you have to, you know, use some asymmetrical tactics to, to handle that. Absolutely. The, the, the marketing and, and the access that marketing has to their little pumpkins is an incredible. Even if, even if your kids don't have a cell phone or a smartphone, their friends do. So it's hitting them from all angles. One of my favorite things to teach this is a little bit more advanced, but I like to explain to people that freedom is not to do what you want or freedom isn't doing what you want or feel like. That's only true if you have control over what you want and feel like doing. But because, like you said, marketing and the world, it is so asymmetrical, they are controlling our behavior. And I don't mean this like conspiracy theory. I mean effective marketing that produces an environment that has us behave in a certain way. They are doing that way more than we realize it. And if people doubt that, they can just look at their bank accounts and how much they're saving. They're losing that war, right? So (laughs) the marketplace is winning. Right. Uh, so I thought this is fun. You liken there's the different phases of fatherhood to different phases of SEAL training. Uh, can you explain that analogy a bit? Yeah, absolutely. So first phase, you know, SEAL training is three phases. First phase, physical conditioning. Second phase, dive phase. Third phase is what they'd call land warfare demolitions. So in first phase, uh, this is how it was explained to me when I was in training. They said, okay, in first phase, really, you can only hurt yourself. You're kept kind of separate. It's like a man-on-man defense when we're parenting. Pretty much you're trying to make sure the kid doesn't just hurt themselves, walk themselves off of a ledge or or toss themselves into a gorilla pit in the zoo is what happens nowadays too sometimes. But you're making sure that they don't get hurt um, as they develop their ability to walk, crawl, run, right? They're getting physically strong. And sure, there's psychology and there's things we can teach them there, but that's more or less what's going on. Then second phase, as they get older and they go to school, inside of SEAL training, you have what are what's called your dive buddy. So really all you can do is hurt yourself or maybe just your dive buddy. So your kind of your responsibility and power is expanding as you prove yourself and you develop your skills. 
Um, now with parenting, if you look at behavior, behavior is a whole lot has to do with our experiences. And one of the things kids experience from preschool to elementary school to middle school is are their friends. So we really watch their dive buddies, quote unquote, to make sure that the people they're spending time with aren't warping their kind of sense of reality and their behavior. Um, and that's how I look at second phase, those younger years. Now, third phase is when they start to develop power and skill and capacity. In SEAL training, you're using C4 plastic explosives, you're using machine guns, all these things. So you can literally kill the whole class if you're not careful. Same thing, third phase of life, when they start hitting those teenage years and their young adult years, they can make choices that can kill the whole family. I mean, really destroy the family. They can destroy themselves and people around them. And that's also where I want to start teaching them, we before me. That's where they start learning like, hey, life isn't about just yourself. Life is actually about caring for others. And when you do that, life works out for you. So I see those phases really work in parallel um, from, hey, just worry about myself and not getting hurt to like worrying about myself and the people right immediately around me and then being concerned with like, you know, all the way out to the planet, other people, the entire planet, the world that way. Right. I love that. That's a great analogy. And so after you make this analogy, the rest of the book is sort of directed to um, highlighting different attributes, qualities, skills um, you think um, children should learn um, based on your career as a SEAL. And you also interview uh, fellow SEALs and get what they've taught their children, um, you know, about how to be a a functioning adult uh, in society um, based on their SEAL training. Uh, There's one aspect that I thought was interesting. So today, you know, one of the, I guess, an idea of, of masculinity being warped is the idea of you know, dads sort of being these bumbling idiots who don't know how to do things. They, they, all they want to do is eat and watch football, whatever. Um, but you say an important aspect of fathering is respecting your kids' respect. Um, how does that help you become a leader in your family? So if someone's going to follow you, right, it's, it's always a choice, right? So if someone's going to follow you, then it's going to be really important that you understand what they're concerned with and where they're trying to go. I mean, that's kind of an obvious one if you think about it, but so many parents and leaders in corporations, you see this all over the place. They want people to respect them. They want people to follow them, but I'll ask them like, well, you know, let me like the corporate analogy. I'm like, okay, do you know everybody on your team? Do you know where they're trying to get? What are their really, what are their life's ambitions? Where are they really trying to go? Or do you pretty much just assume that they want what you want, whatever your objectives are? So to respect somebody else is to understand what it is they're after. Um, and then to lead someone else is to help them get there, to be the best source, the best way for them to get to where they want to go, or even better, to show them a better place to go. Uh, so if parents want respect, then they need to uh, they first need to understand what respect is. Most people can't really define it. And then they need to pragmatically and purposely produce it. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with a thoroughly modern design. The exterior has been reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Durability has been tested to the extreme, cargo capacity means more room for your gear, And there's been powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system that keeps you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering, and the Defender is ready for a wide range of adventures. The Defender family features two-door Defender 90, 
the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. Push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. That's LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. All right, so if you're like me, you've probably signed up for a whole bunch of stuff that has a recurring monthly fee. Subscriptions to newsletters, subscriptions to services that you use online, uh, could be a streaming service, something like that. You sign up for it and then you forget about it. And then every month you're getting charged and charged and charged and they just all add up and you have a hard time trying to figure out where did I sign up for this? I don't know where this is coming from. Let me tell you, there's an app that can help you with that. It's called Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all the app's features. I had a chance to use Rocket Money and it works. You connect your account to it and then it goes through your accounts and helps you find those recurring subscription fees that maybe you forgot about and then you can cancel them and save yourself a bit of money each month. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash manliness. That's rocketmoney.com slash manliness, rocketmoney.com slash manliness. All right, if you have a family, then you need to get term life insurance to protect them. It's one of the smartest financial decisions you can make, and the start of the new year is the perfect time to get it done so you can focus on whatever else the year has in store for you. Fabric by Gerber Life was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. There's no risk to apply. They have a 30-day money-back guarantee and you can cancel at any time. I remember when I was a new dad, I had a lot of thoughts going through my head. One of them was, how can I take care of my family when I'm gone if something happens to me? Well, it's one of the first things I did. I got term life insurance, one of the best decisions I made. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash manliness. That's meetfabric.com slash manliness. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash manliness. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. So recently I went through the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss, a lot of useful information in there, talked about the value of known in negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. Yeah. And, I, and I, one of the things I love about that phrase, respect your kids respect, it's just, it's always thinking about, okay, am I, the way I'm behaving or comporting myself, like, would this, would this make my kids respect me? Right. And that's, that's a huge check on your behavior and what you do. Oh, it's crazy. We just, just last night, I, I mean, 
my uh, my wife just last night uh, said, "Hey, uh, we let the girls re- uh, read on their iPad or uh, something." I mean, no, they're on their computer reading something before they went to bed. Um, actually, they might have been watching a show. I don't even remember. no. I think they were watching videos. Sorry. So we it was like a special treat. School's coming to an end. Like, yep, go ahead and watch a couple videos before you go to bed. And then my wife said, "Hey, turn it off. Time to go to bed." And I go. I said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" Ask you know. I whispered. I go ask them if they're almost done. Because think about that. If you're reading a book or watching a video and someone says, shut it off now, like how disrespectful is that? And, and especially with the girls, right? And like, honey, don't just tell them, ask them. They might just be a minute away. That's respecting somebody's concerns. That's showing respect. And that's actually teaching respect to your kids as well. Because I don't generally respect somebody that just says, shut your book off or turn your computer off. And I'm like, dude, I like two minutes away. Can you just ask me? You know, that's not very respectful. Um, so uh, we had... Uh, Jocko Willink on the podcast uh, the other day, and he talked about this idea of extreme ownership. And you talked about this too, is about you know personal responsibility. It's a big part of the the SEAL ethos. How can dads teach that to their children? That's like one of the things I worry about, right? As a dad, it's like, am I going to raise a kid who's going to you know just like just constantly give excuses, not take responsibility for their mistakes? Um, so how can you how can you teach your your kids that that concept? So the best. So parenting, training, coaching, leading, it, it, a lot, like think about consistency. Consistency is key. So I listen to my kids, the way they talk, the way they explain. My son was king at telling me how stupid his teachers were and that he shouldn't, <laughs> shouldn't have to do the homework or it's not his fault or, you know what I mean? He'd love doing that. Even to this day, he'll say something to me like that. And I'll be like, seriously, did you, are you ready? Here it comes. Um, so how I, how I train it, how I teach it is first being aware of it, right? A lot of us, I mean, we all have to check ourselves first. That the, the book is more about becoming the man or the person we want to be so that we can lead our sons than it is about being a, like a parenting book. So this is another example. We have to check ourselves. And that's what I think Jocko and Leaf were doing in their book is SEALs are brutal. And after actions report, if you try to make an excuse, they'll, they'll hammer you. I mean, you get beat up for something like that too in a war zone. It's very, very dangerous. So it's to be consistent. When you hear your kid say something and they're given an excuse, right? And understand the difference between an excuse and a reason, right? So there are reasons we can't do things, but when we remove a re- uh, the reason, we, we're able to move forward. An excuse, if you remove it, you're not able to move forward. There'll just be another excuse. And just constantly be with them. Always give them those rhetoric corrections and help them understand when they're basically BSing themselves. But check yourself first because we, we all do it a whole bunch. Make sure we're being real with ourselves too. Right. Yeah. The kids are watching. If they see you constantly make excuses, they're going to do the same thing too. Oh yeah. And they're going to perceive it too. That's the scariest part. Before they can put it into language and understand that that was an excuse versus a reason, it, right? They're going to perceive it. Like they're, our, Human beings are good that way. That's how we survive. They're going to be like, wait, something's off there. What mom or dad just said, that doesn't sound like something that really stopped them. It sounds like they're making something up, but they, that's even worse because they're experiencing it. So another concept you borrowed from uh, your career as a SEAL and applied to parenting is uh, this idea of IAD. Uh, so what is an I- IAD and how can dads implement them into their family to help their family be the best family they can be? Oh, uh, yeah. So I, uh, we call them IADs or immediate action drills. And inside of SEAL training, you'll do these for everything. If your gun jams or uh, your scuba tank go off. And I think they're best known for if you if you get contacted by the enemy. So if you're on patrol, you're approaching a target and you get 
contacted and you weren't expecting the contact, we have an immediate action drill. So meaning we've practiced uh, responding to the un, uh, the unexpected. Uh, SEALs never have anything happen to them. We always are controlling our environment, our situation. We're never victims. So the IADS is like, okay, if, if your kid rolls your eyes at you, what are, what are you going to immediately do? Um, if they're, If you're tired and fed up and your patience is low, What's your immediate action drill? You recognize like, man, I'm not patient. I'm not, I'm not going to be a very effective parent right now. What is it I do? One of my favorite IADs is when my kids ask me for something, I have an immediate action drill of always saying, starting with yes. I don't always say yes. I always start with yes. Meaning it's now on me. Is there a functional reason I have to say no? Um, and, and the purpose of IADs is that we're not reacting to things. Uh, use martial arts as an example. When someone throws a punch at you, you can either flinch or throw your hands in the air and you know they throw the jab and then they hit you with the cross and knock you out. Or you can condition yourself to respond in a much more effective manner. So IADs are all about just thinking about all the situations that come up in parenting and prepare for them ahead of time and come up with more effective and efficient ways of handling them. Like it's bedtime, but the kids are reading a book immediate action drill when they say, hey, can I stay up is to say, oh, maybe how much more time do you have? Something like that. Gotcha. Okay. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, so, you know, kind of related to IADs, I guess it's not related. I'm going to edit that part out because it's not related at all. Uh, but this idea of helping your kids uh, self-regulate, it's a big part of parenting. Um, you know, it's basically self-regulation is how how we become humans, like move from like chimp phase to human phase where we can control our impulses and uh, not act like feral little beast. So what lessons from uh, your career as a SEAL can dads use to help teach their kids self-regulation? So uh, these I actually think are really related to IADs, the immediate action drills, because that's what we're doing. We're consistently training them. So I, I think the first thing to recognize is the power of real training. And that's the thing. Parents aren't ever, you know, you, the only thing required to be a parent is just getting someone pregnant or becoming pregnant. Like parents out of all roles on the planet should be the best at behavior science training and coaching and leadership, right? Because we're shaping these guys when they're at a young age, very, very malleable and it's going to stick with them for a long time. So I'd say is the first thing is recognize the power and importance of training. We're not born like these little crazy kids. They're not born to react a particular way. Sure, we have propensities towards aggression or propensities towards making excuses. There's different things like that. But again, like the martial arts example, we can recondition ourselves to act a certain way, but you need a very powerful and effective coach. So if parents want to shape their kids behavior they need to understand behavior science they need to understand coaching they need to understand training and then they have to be consistent so i have a belgian malinois which they're like little like german shepherds 30 percent smaller but 30 percent nastier they're the same dogs they use in the seal teams and i train her to be an executive protection dog and one of the key ingredients to training these dogs is consistency when we're not consistent if we're not if we're not good trainers the dogs get frustrated and confused and they don't learn it stresses them out actually and you see that with a lot of kids i watch parents yell at their kids or you know, like respond to their kids being those little feral beasts and they're just mean about it they're disrespectful and it just it beats the kid up like a lot of parents just suck at it it's it's embarrassing to watch sometimes Right. Yeah. And they've, they've actually found that like the same thing that works with dogs, right? The consistency like works with kids as well. It's like if you're 
in, inconsistent with how you discipline children. Like they get anxious and like they don't know how to respond to uh, setbacks and they just get really become like neurotic almost. Oh yeah, there's a there's a big section. Mike Ritlin, um, he was a, he was a, went to buds with me. He was a seal with me, and he trains dogs for the seal pipeline and other government agencies. And there's a whole section where him and I talk about. Um, I had an entire chapter. We ended up pulling it out, but basically to raise your kids like dogs, and like the name is to you know kind of spark people's interest, of course, and maybe even fire a few people up. But it's the exact same thing. Behavior science is behavior science. And if you talk to a dog trainer and you understand their knowledge of reward and punishment and how that all works, they'll, they'll outpace a parent any day. They take training their dogs way more serious than parents take training their kids. Uh, so you have this section I thought was interesting because I think it's, a, it's a, one thing that people love to carp about in today's uh, culture is this idea of participation trophies. It's like, oh, why'd you get a trophy just for playing t-ball, right? You didn't, you got to win. Um, but you kind of have more of a nuanced approach to it and it's based on your, uh, experience as a seal. So what can the seals teach dads about how to handle participation trophies? So th- think about seal training. Uh, the way I like to describe seal training to people, especially kids that are, they want to go, you know, and they're like, what's your advice? And the obvious, the obvious advice it, the number one piece of advice any SEAL is going to tell anybody going to SEAL training is, or it's going to be pretty darn close to number one, is they're going to say, don't quit. And what is to not quit means to participate. SEAL training is very unique in the fact that as long as you don't quit, you win. Now, of course, there's exceptions. People get hurt and stuff like that. But I'm talking about for the whole, right? On average, as long as you don't quit, you win. So people don't understand participation trophies going back to behavior science because they don't understand behavior science, right? So now participation trophies are misused a whole bunch, but again, because they don't understand it. So my two daughters were in a, a swim league and they went to their first competition and like one of them got like uh, fourth place. Uh, which was unique because I think there was only three swimmers. So she swam so slow in the race. I, I think they had to bump her back a place. There wasn't even a human there. It was so bad. But she got a ribbon for it. And she came out, got that ribbon, and was beaming. It was her first competition. She loved that she got the ribbon, came running over to me and showed it to me. Guess what those guys were doing? Well, the competitions we have to pay for, the coaches we have to pay for, they were making sure she came back. They were rewarding her for participating. A lot, most military awards are awards for participating because they want you to keep going. So participate, participation trophies are a reward for showing up so that you continue to show up. Now, if you keep giving them over and over again, they're going to get diluted and become ineffective. And there's ways you can use them in an effective manner where you start actually punishing the performers. That's something different. Participation trophies are extremely good, and anyone that thinks they should be removed, they just need to study some behavior science. What they need to do is be corrected on how they're used. Right. And so on top of the participation, eventually you'll add in awards for you know merit, for excellence and merit, like just as the military does. Well, yeah, it's like perseverance, right? It's like keeping going. You have to continuously up the bar of the challenge. The challenge always has to be a little bit beyond your skill, just like in a video game. That's how people keep going. So if you just keep rewarding people for showing up, showing up, eventually it's not going to have any oomph. Same thing, behavior science. If you give a dog the same reward over and over again, pretty soon they're just going to expect it and not even care about it anymore. You have to, there has to be variables. And like we were talking about our environment, 
the asymmetrical situation we're in, if you look at like gambling or even text messaging, there are participation trophies to get you going and then they start to vary the reward. They call it ratio and schedule. It starts to change from there. And if it doesn't start to change, the reward becomes ineffective. But they're really good at it. That's why we all stay on our phones and like to gamble, or at least I do. <laughs> um, so, th- so throughout the book, uh, you, you describe some of your parenting style and, uh, man, you were, you were tough on your kids. Like you intentionally made them uncomfortable, uh, throughout their, their childhood and even up and through their teenage years. Uh, so why do you think, why do you think it's important for dads to create intentional discomfort in their children's lives? Well, Okay, so yeah, I'm good. I'm glad we're talking about the behavior science stuff because this this steps right in. This is in the same same vein as well. So it's the discomfort is part of the training and conditioning. Um, there's a popular term, punishment should fit the crime, and that's that's not true. Uh, that's kind of a, a misunderstood thing because we're kind of all our society is all about justice and and, and we can point at prison systems and, and understand that punishment does not change behavior. Um, punishment should be if if you're using punishment, it should change the behavior. So you know, disc- there's there's four quadrants of behavior change, right? There's there's something to encourage behavior, so it's positive reinforcement or what they call negative reinforcement, or there's something to discourage behavior, positive punishment or negative punishment. And so producing discomfort could be a form of both, but it's not about the production of discomfort, it's about the behavior change, if that makes sense. So uh, with my kids, I'll, you know, my son, there's a story in the book about him, you know, I came home and he just refused to do his homework and I, and he was disrespectful to his stepmom, uh, who they have a loving relationship, so it's not like a, you know, it's just inappropriate. So he was behaving in that manner. So what I did is I applied intentional discomfort. And I think it's important too, because like, I don't want to get like child, uh, the child services called on me because, <laughs> you know, I dump, dump them in a really cold pool and I've dumped them in the ocean and things like that all the time. Uh, but what's important is for him, these weren't these super extreme uh, kind of borderline abusive uh, reaction. He's he's grown up around the water. He's grown up in extreme circumstances that we've done both for fun and, you know, we do it all the time. Um, and that's an important thing here. So when we're talking about dads creating intentional discomfort to either encourage a behavior or discourage a bad behavior, um, it's got to be appropriate for the child. It's got to be appropriate for the, the behavior. So again, using dogs as an example, if you come down on a dog too hard, they're just going to stop training. Same thing with kids. You can't come down on them too hard. It has to be just a little bit outside their comfort level and inappropriate for their behavior. And if I remember correctly, like the, the intentional discomfort that you applied to your son in that situation with his, with your wife, I think like you make him like throw his PlayStation into the swimming pool or something like that. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was part of the same story. I was just going there. So, okay. So in the context of behavior change, right? So uh, positive punishment would be to add something uh, uncomfortable enough that somebody would change their behavior. So first thing I did, um, or uh, negative punishment is to take away something they like. So I took a skateboard, smashed it on the cement, uh, took his PlayStation and chucked it in the pool. So I started with what they would call negative punishment. I said, okay, well, we're going to remove some things that you really enjoy. Um, and I don't I'm by no means a. T- I want to be careful. Like I'm not a tyrant. I'm. I'm. I'm a. If you watch me teach and lead, I'm actually. People will say, "Man, you're patient and kind and loving." Uh, but there are times where, like, you know what? 
we're going to have to do something that's going to stick here a little bit. I'm going to need you to remember this, buddy. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what that was. And I do those things very seldom. I mean, probably three, four times in the kid's life will I do something somewhat extreme. Um, and yeah, I tossed that PlayStation. And it was a really cold night. Even though we were in Southern California, the uh, antifreeze was coming on on my pool. It was just super cold. And I said, well, you're going to have to go in and get it. And he went and grabbed the pool net to fish it out. And I was like, no, 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 <laughs> you're going to have to go in and get it. So I sent him into the water um, and, and that, would be called, that would be called positive punishment, meaning something very uncomfortable that would change the behavior. Um, and then I spent a lot of time talking with him. Um, anytime we're in a situation where there's kind of that heavier discipline, I won't leave his side. I won't depart from him until we've come full circle and we're like hugging uh, so we kept going until he was cool and I was cool. Uh, and that's important because I want to make sure he wants to continue to train with me, uh, for lack of a better word. Right. And I guess there wasn't any problems after that. Um, not, I mean, that problem was gone. I mean, then he'll, here's the thing. He knows the, my kids know me to step in for every little thing. So for me, there's a chapter called It's Better to Keep Up Than Catch Up, and there's a couple different ways to apply it, but one of them is with the disciplining and raising your kids. I don't want, when my kids are in a heavy, heavy situation, that's not going to be the first time I come in to start coaching and teaching. So I'm doing it all of the time. Um, so it doesn't, it's like them to be coached by me and it's like me to address every little thing for them. Uh, so yeah, I would say it's more of the little things that, that deal with the behavior than something like that. Those kind of things are almost just to show them like, Hey, when I say I'm going to do something, I am going to do it. So if, if you get into drugs and I tell you that I'm going to take you out into the wilderness for four weeks, two weeks to whoop your ass and two weeks to let you recover so I don't get arrested, he knows like, man, that's serious because I've seen him do it before. Right. Um, so Eric, we've been having a great conversation, but and I, and I, I know these questions are kind of dumb, I mean, because it's so trite, but I'm curious, uh, is there one piece of advice from your book that you think if dad started implementing today, they would see start seeing some immediate return on investment. Yes, lead from the front. Uh, it's become my favorite. I, I didn't know how much. Uh, it was my favorite when I was writing, but now I've done some interviews. Lead from the front. Be. Too, I heard just too many times guys say, man, I'm going to just sacrifice myself so I can make money for my family. Or I'm just going to go have fun and do whatever feels good for me. Forget the family. Or It was always this extreme version of something right? And, and it's nothing that they wanted their kids to be. Like the idea of dads sacrificing their happiness and health just to care for their family. I'm all about the sacrifice, but here's the problem, guys, like everybody out there. How, that's what you're teaching your son to do. So leading from the front, be the happy, healthy person that you want to have your son or daughter or friend, anyone around you be so that you can lead them to do the same. That's right. it, key. Yeah. And like you, that's kind of based on some personal, because you, you talk about in your story, like your dad was sort of that self-sacrificing guy, um, but it got to the point where he has, you know, had a severe bout of depression where he had to go away from you guys. Yeah, he got really, really sick. And at the, uh, you know, at the end, and he's in a nursing home to this day, but at the end of the day, it was the life he lived. You know, he was a, a sheriff and he was a bishop of our church. My grandfather was an FBI agent. And th these are just tactical lives. You don't have to live those lives. My point being, at the end of the day, what I did is I ended up following what he did in his whole life. Uh, so whether he, that's why, like, yes, we have to be there for our kids. We want to spend time with our kids. That's important, valuable stuff. But 
a lot of times what we do with our life is going to trump all of that because they're going to they're going to watch us. I think so. I've heard it said, "Don't they're going to catch more than they hear," or whatever whatever it's called. It's that that experience, and just too many guys are just that they got a sacrifice like that. It's a it's a so in SEAL training, I was a medic and I was a corpsman. Uh, or we are corpsmen, which are medics, and it was my job to take care of the students a whole bunch. And and some guys wouldn't rehab at night; they wouldn't take care of themselves. And I always thought, man, that's weird. Um, that's not going to work. And then, sure enough, they'd get injured, and then they get rolled or dropped from training. Uh, then later on, as I studied psychology and philosophy and things like that in my forties, and I've done all this training now, I look back at it and I realize, oh man, what those guys were doing were qu- they were quitting. They just didn't want to say I quit. And I see men do that all the time. They're just running themselves into the ground because they're so miserable. They're trying to quit, but they don't want to say, I quit. It's their psychology kind of taking care of them. So it's an, we can't do that. That's quitting. When we don't take care of ourselves, guys, we're quitting because we have to be the example to our kids. That's great. Well, Eric, uh, where can people learn more about your book? Uh, uh, best place is just my website because I have everything I do in my books or anything I'm writing is there. So it's ericdavis215.com. It's eric with the C, davis215.com. And I've got links to the book and then all my papers. Um, and I just try to keep my hub of the work I do right there so it's accessible. Great. Well, Eric Davis, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Uh, thank you, Brett. It's been fantastic. I really appreciate it. My guest today was Eric Davis. His book is called Raising Men. It's available on Amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. And also you can check out Eric's website at ericdavis215.com to read more of the content he's put out there. And also make sure to check out the show notes at aom.is slash davis. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And if you enjoy this podcast and have got something out of it, I'd appreciate it if you give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher, as that will help uh, spread the word about the show. As always, I appreciate your continued support. And until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly. Stay manly.